You're listening to Season 6 of Mobile Suit Breakdown, a weekly podcast covering the entirety of sci-fi mega-franchise Mobile Suit Gundam. For new fans, old fans, and not yet fans. We analyze all 42 years of Gundam, episode by episode and movie by movie, researching its influences, examining its themes, and discussing how each piece of the Gundam canon fits within the changing context in Japan and the world from 1979 to today. This is episode 6.4, The Hour of the Hippo, and we are your hosts. I'm Tom, a lifelong Gundam fan, and I want a power-up transformation scene. Everyone deserves their own power-up transformation scene. And I'm Nina, new to this run of SD Gundam and ready to declare a new favorite mobile suit. Can you guess what it might be? Mobile Suit Breakdown is made possible by the support of 613 patrons and subscribers. Thank you all, and special thanks to our newest supporter, Rideth Mochi. If you enjoy MSB, help keep us independent and ad-free by subscribing on Patreon, making a one-time payment on Ko-fi, buying us research materials from our wishlist, or reviewing us wherever you listen to podcasts. The links to all of the different ways to support us are on our website at gundampodcast.com support. Before we get into this episode, a quick update about last week's episode. We had wondered why the uh, Zacrello had its particular name, why it was called the Bamboo Spear Bucktooth Zacrello. I found out while putting together the show notes for that episode, in particular the visual aids, that the exaggeratedly long, tall, dramatic exhaust pipes on modded bikes and cars are often called Takeyari, or Bamboo Spears. Because of their length and their tapered end, they look like a makeshift bamboo spear. This week we are covering SD Sengokuden, Abawakujo no Sho. Translating the kanji literally gets you something like SD Tales of the Warring States, the ultimate violent sky castle chapter. But that's part of the joke. The kanji and the title are there because they can be read to sound like the name of Zeon's Abawaku Space Fortress. And the short itself includes a pronunciation guide to make sure you get the joke. Sky Castle Chapter is the second of two shorts that ran in theaters alongside Pat Labor the movie, and together form the collection SD Gundam's Counterattack. Though initially released in theaters on July 15, 1989, they were offered to fans on Laserdisc and VHS starting October 23, 1989, for the low price of 7,320 yen, or about $120 today. Amino Tetsuro returns again as the head director and scriptwriter for Sky Castle Chapter. Working under Amino as episode or unit director was Takamatsu Shinji. The original conceptual design for the characters was by Yokoi Koji, and the character designer for the short was Nishimura Nobuyoshi, an animator and animation director associated with Studio Dove, who worked on shows like City Hunter, Dirty Pair, and Pat Labor. This is his first stint on Gundam, but far from his last. He will work mostly as an animation director on immediately upcoming Gundam projects, but his next outing as character designer will be on 1996's Gundam X. Nishimura was also the animation director for this short. The art director was Ikeda Shigemi, who had already handled that role on Double Zeta, Shars Counterattack, and 0080. The music, once again, was by Totsuka Osamu. 
Much of the cast returns to voice the mobile suits their characters piloted, but there are a few cameos. Lord Zakuto is voiced by Izuka Shouzo, the voice of Ryu Jose. Shinzaku, the youngest of the three Zaku brothers, is Sasaki Nozomu, the voice of Hathaway Noah in Char's Counterattack. The venerable Shou Gundam is Nagai Ichiro, who played just about every middle-aged to old man in the original Gundam TV series, including Bergamino, Konskan, Degwin, Dr. Flanagan, General Elrin, and Admiral Tianum. He also played Char's adjutant Dren, and he was the narrator for the first Gundam movies. Shimada Bin, who started as the movie version of white base operator Oscar Dublin and took on the roles of Jupiter Headbandio in Zeta, Ni in Double Zeta, and Garcia in 0080, now takes on the mantle of the new Gundam. Having reprised Siropo in SD Gundams Mark I and II, and with a cameo role in Char's Counterattack, Shimada has at this point appeared in every Gundam anime project since 1981. And now, let's go to the recap. In Sengoku-era Japan, two factions of animate, mobile-suit samurai fight for supremacy, the Gundam Army and the Army of Darkness. They fight and spy on each other, but are in a stalemate, neither strong enough to win decisively. Every 333 years on Mominoki Field, the mysterious castle Abawaku appears, and once the castle is occupied, the war will finally end. Both sides learn that the next appearance will be today, at the Hour of the Hippo, and to capture the castle for their side, they must place a decorative carp statue on the roof of Abawaku. Their armies amass for battle, the mobile suits standing among masses of smaller rank-and-file mobile suits, no taller than the regular mobile suits' knees. Staring across the field at each other, the two armies stop short. The Gundam Band of Five, the Musha Gundam, Mark II, Zeta, Double Zeta, and Nu are introduced to dramatic music, crashing waves, swooping eagles, erupting volcanoes, and soaring dragons, only to be interrupted when the The O tunnels up underneath them and attacks. In the chaos, a group of mobile suits from the Army of Darkness steal the Gundam Army's golden carp and fly away with it, only for the Gundam Army to recapture it moments later. The Psycho Gundam, possessed by an evil mask, fights its own allies. And when the clock strikes the hour of the hippo, lightning cascades across the sky and Abawaku appears. The two armies race to the roof, shoving and jostling as they fight to place their carp. One will manage to fit theirs, only to be knocked back and replaced. In the thick of it, the old carp is bumped from its perch, and in a fateful moment, the two armies place their carp on opposite ends of the roof at the same time, causing Abawaku to disappear in a flash of light. I guess we'll have to wait another 333 years, one mobile suit says, as the two armies stand, nonplussed, on Mominoki Field. The only other sound, the wind through the grass. In their pavilion, the unsuspecting Army of Darkness commanders drink sake and eat watermelon, dancing and singing about their certain victory. They did it! 
They got through an entire short and there's nothing bad in it. I have long been awaiting this SD short because I've, I'll admit, seen some spoilers of some of the mobile suit designs that are the Sengoku SDs, and I really like them. <laughs> Visually top-notch, no question about it. Uh, so the Sengoku Jidai is the Japanese name for what's called the Warring States period in English, not to be confused with the Warring States period in China, <laughs> but uh, this was a period of about 150 years where there was really widespread, more or less constant warfare between different domains throughout Japan. Uh, I think it was actually at least 333 years, potentially as many as 666 years. I'm not going to let you get through this history <laughs> lesson. There's SD Gundam to talk about. On top of the fact that this is just a very fun aesthetic that both of us like, one of the things to remember is that the Warring States period is a popular setting for Japanese media of all kinds. Basically, every samurai movie <laughs> takes place during or on one of those sort of shoulder periods of the Warring States period. Lots of big epics, romances, tragedies, action films, you name it. It's a, a hugely popular setting, which means it has its own conventions that make for really great parody. 150 or so years. The period of time covered by the Sengoku Jidai is actually quite long, but there's got to be a point at which the sum total of media set in it has a longer runtime than the period of time itself. Like westerns, you know, the actual period of time covered by the Wild West is pretty short. Probably we're pretty close to that inflection point now for westerns, and at some point we're going to hit it for uh, Sengoku Jidai stuff as well. And it's not just that they change up the design on the mobile suits. They also use the aesthetic for the buildings or kind of in invert <laughs> things. Like they make Abawaku look more like a Sengoku era palace. They put V fins on the Gundam <laughs> castle, <laughs> which <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure the uh, both the Gundam castle and the Army of Darkness Manor are based on real places, probably. Uh, maybe in our research bits, we'll be able to find out which ones. But I cracked up the moment I noticed those V-fins. <laughs> yeah. There are also some fun anachronistic elements like the telephones and the fax machine. Oh, gosh. So I wanted to talk about this because it reminded me of the same kind of jokes in old Flintstones cartoons. Yeah, yeah. Where... They put sort of 1950s and 60s era technology, but imagined a, a humorous prehistoric version of whatever it is. And it is funny. Like when the O pulls out a walkie-talkie and the extendable antenna is segments of bamboo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. And visually, they've sort of gone a step further because it's not just modern day technology with a Sengoku era spin, they've also Gundamified it. So you get this telephone that's, you know, it's a wooden box telephone, but it's been done up, it's been given a mono eye. And they're not shy about other humorous anachronisms. There's a refrigerator at one point that they don't even try to make look old. <laughs> crazy straws. Oh, the crazy straws cracked me up. The wooden sort of barrel looking thing that they bust open with the mallet is sake. And that's a, a traditional 
celebratory activity that you would get a special container of sake that then gets busted open for a party or a festival. And the <laughs> what they're drinking out of is styled like a sake cup. It's just giant. And then they're all drinking out of it with twirly straws. <laughs> the, um, the splitting of the watermelon is also like a traditional party activity. A lot of us are familiar with the daruma, which is a sort of round paper mache or ceramic figure with a, a face on it and two eyes. Big, bushy eyebrows. Yeah, and usually the eyes are blank. And in this short, one of the characters fills in one of the eyes, which you're supposed to do when you set a goal. And then you fill in the second eye when you achieve whatever the goal was. So really just hammering home how premature this whole celebration is, that they haven't actually won the fight yet. They haven't actually achieved the goal that they've set. Uh, but here they are busting out sake and watermelon and singing about how they've won. Also, the daruma is a zaku. It's a shars zaku. <laughs> <laughs> and is sitting on a modern orange crate also. Is it a mikan crate? I believe so. Because as you may remember from the puns short a few weeks ago, there was a bit thing about Shar no Mikan. That's right. Okay. Ha. Nice. And they make a pun off of Shogun and Gundam. Shogundam. All of the mobile suits helmets have been changed to look like the very elaborate, very interesting looking armor helmets from that era, including the Shogundam has a mustache. <laughs> a bunch of the... Uh, old Sengoku armor, the helmets have a faceplate or like a partial mask, and some of them have a mustache on the, the faceplate. These masks and these helmets would convey so much personality about the uh, warriors who were wearing them. And there are some fantastic stories about this. There's a story about a very old uh, warrior who would ride into battle wearing a mask that was designed to make him look as young as possible because he didn't want anyone going easy on him just because he was pushing 70. <laughs> Wow. There's another one about a guy who had the crest on the top of his helmet styled to look like the characters for It's Me. <laughs> I love that. Wow. But of course, this is fantastic because the Gundam's helmet, V-fins, mask, all of it from the beginning was based on these historical samurai helmets. So, so it's all just circular. Yep. Kabuto to Kabuto to Kabuto. Even when you think about the skirting on mobile suits, again, we've talked about different visual inspirations for the skirting, but it does bear similarities to armor from the Warring States period. And so it's very easy for them in these redesigns for this specific SD short to just add a little line work over the top of that and make it look more like armor and less like plating. And you notice when the O is there, they've basically changed nothing about that helmet. Which, if you remember back in season two, I did a whole little research piece about how the O's head looks like a hat or a helmet from that era already. It's very vindicating for me personally. Last week, you brought up that there are certain jokes in it that get funnier and funnier over time just through the sheer repetition. And that's how I'm starting to feel about the Zucrello. The Zucrello just gets funnier and funnier every time they manage to incorporate it into an episode of SD Gundam. This one, the Zucrello has become the golden carp. 
that the uh, Zaku side, the Army of Darkness side, is trying to put on the castle. Yeah, you can tell by the face of it, and I think by the voice. The voice sounded like the same voice actor they've had for it in previous SD shorts, like in SD Gundam Legend. It's interesting you brought that up. This is actually a moment where we start to see the voice cast changing a little bit. A lot of the original voice actors are still there. The Musha Gundam is still being done by Furuya Toru, who is Amuro's voice actor. But Ikeda Shuichi, who reportedly hated doing these, has dipped out of this one. He is not voicing the Sazabi. He's not uh, voicing any of the mobile suit characters in this episode. But Camille is back to voice the Zeta, and Judo is back to voice the double Zeta. Circling back to some of the pseudo-historical things that they use to comical effect in the Army of Darkness compound manner. Uh, when they're talking to their leader through the screen, that was an actual thing for a while that the shoguns did, where depending on your rank, you weren't allowed to actually see the shogun. They would sit on one side of a screen from you and speak to you, but you couldn't see them unmediated. I know that was also a thing frequently done for like important women of the court. That goes back even to the Heian period that women might be screened off. But in particular, I feel like the Shogun thing gets preserved in a lot of media that talks about early Europeans in Japan and uh, not being permitted to see the person actually ruling Japan. Mm -hmm. I thought of the Heian court ladies thing, though, because the way they passed the photographs through the slats in the screen made me think of passing the love letters poems and things. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this next part might require some research. Not really Warring States related, but the cats. They're from something, right? That's like, a, that's a reference to some other animated thing. I think I know the answer, but I'm not positive. We'll have to follow up on that. Okay. <laughs> this leads into another thing that I particularly liked about this short I know just last week I was complaining about the animation quality. This one seemed much better. Yeah, I would say the animation in this one is startlingly good for an SD. Part of that is probably the context that was made for a theatrical release. Mm, so yeah. there's, you know, more at stake. Um, part of that is a different production team. It's under Takamatsu Shinji, who is a more experienced veteran Gundam animator. I saw an interview recently actually with Takamatsu and Amino, they were talking about making SD and they were saying that while the proportions are different, if the design gets complicated enough, then it's not actually any easier to animate than a conventional character. If it's got the same number of lines, it takes the same amount of drawing. And that in fact, it introduces some new challenges because if a character doesn't have knees, then there's all kinds of poses you can't do with them. Among the moments that really stood out to me, when the leader of the Army of Darkness draws its sword, I think this is right after the Kubele has been faxed to them full of, full of blades, <laughs> which, hilarious, so fun. A really good bit. Uh, we, the audience, can see the reflection of his pet cats in the sword blade before he stabs it into the ground and accidentally into his own foot. <laughs> and they've got all kinds of lighting effects going on in that scene. It's great. 
Well, and after he's stabbed it into the ground, you can actually see the reflection of the Hyakushiki's face on one half of the blade. And even parts of the episode that are made to be very funny and silly still feel really nicely animated. All of the back and forth between the different teams trying to put the carp on the roof is very rapid fire, is very quick and silly and fun, but still felt really dynamic, really exciting, looked good. Doesn't go on too long. Yeah. And the uh, <laughs> the introduction for the Gundam team of five is a pretty obvious send-up of Super Sentai shows. In animation, some of the best comparisons I can think of are things like Sailor Moon or Captain Planet, where each team member has their own thing, their own strength or aspect or the thing that makes them special, and you have this intro sequence that highlights whatever it is. And part of why it's so funny in the SD one is that they play it straight and animate it really beautifully. <laughs> I think this is both a general reference to those kinds of Sentai shows. Um, there are probably some specific references in the individual like vignettes, like the one with the hawk, for instance. Um, I think I can identify what Sentai show that's riffing on. Really? Okay. But as a general thing, I think this is a send-up of uh, legendary armor samurai troopers, which came to the U.S. as Ronin Warriors, the anime for which started airing in 1988 and on which Takamatsu Shinji had worked. I just realized we should probably define Sentai shows. A Sentai is like a squadron. So Super Sentai is a team up of superheroes, um, usually with a lot of special effects. The big one in the United States was Power Rangers, especially when we were young. Power Rangers was huge. I feel like throughout the entirety of my time in elementary school, more than half of kids were Power Rangers for Halloween. The moment where the centaur <laughs> one, which, love it, great design, super funny. I don't know why they decided to make a mobile suit centaur, but... Well, it's the Zeta, which transforms into the Wave Rider, and I think this is the Sengoku-era version of transforming into oh, a jet fighter. Oh! That, uh, so yeah? That's actually very clever, and it would never have occurred to me that that was the thing. But when he yells out during his intro, like, Oration! And... Kentauras special <laughs> just made me think of the various move names in, again, shows like Sailor Moon. It's where I'm the most familiar with this kind of thing, where they incorporate English words, sometimes for their meaning, sometimes just because they sound cool. I feel like I know what you're working up to here. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> it's very funny, but I actually was not going to say it. Uh <laughs> He's thinking of a very specific move name from Sailor Moon. Five points to everyone who can guess which one I'm thinking of. Uh, but <laughs> that was yet another uh, moment that made me think of those kinds of team-up shows. In the research part of the episode, I'll get into the use of kanji in this episode. There's a lot more of it. And there's a few other neat little like linguistic changes that have been made. It's not the Zeta Gundam, it's the Seta Gundam. It's not the new, it's the new Gundam. Last time I mentioned that a lot of the use of kanji in these is to replicate names for things that don't have their names in kanji. Uh, and I realized there's a term for this that I ought to define 
would be helpful. Uh, ateji is when you use a kanji for its pronunciation, not for its meaning. For instance, the foot soldiers on the Gundam side who look like balls marching off to battle, um, they're called bodus. And when they march, they say gundam, gundam, gundam. Although I have to say, I prefer the little Zaku guys, the little green. The Zakos. Is that what they're called? Yes. Zakos. I love them. So Zako, we talked about this all the way back in season one, but Zako is a small fish, a small oh, fry. Oh, that's right. And it's widely believed that it's the origin of the word Zaku for the Xeon mobile suits. Because they're the grunts. Uh, and now they made them actually tiny and gave them <laughs> little helmets and, little, and little spears. <laughs> Please tell me that there is Gumpla of the Zakos. I will look into it. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. Or uh, or figures. I would prefer to build it, but a little a little figurine would also be acceptable. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. So yeah, visually, aesthetically. Firing on all cylinders. Really enjoyed this. I liked the music a lot, although I don't know why in particular they chose Spanish guitar music. It works. <laughs> it's great for sword fights. <laughs> well, there's your answer. It's great. I would like to point out that the Centaur Zeta makes horse sounds. <laughs> Tom almost did a spit take just then. He had taken a sip of his tea. <laughs> he neighs. He or she, they, they nay. Oracion. So while the aesthetics are fantastic, um, let's sort of shift to talk about the narrative. And I have to say, unlike the SD that we've watched so far, this really doesn't rely on any prior knowledge of Gundam. Like, yeah, there are some jokes that work because of Gundam knowledge, but this is just a this is just a Sengoku story. Um there's nothing particularly Gundam about it. It just it's borrowing the aesthetics from Gundam, the designs. And the story is extremely simple and straightforward. A massive game of capture the flag or king of the hill. During the battle itself, when they keep alternating who has their carp on top of the castle and the map keeps changing colors, and we all get a little I, disco music. All I could think of was the system is down. The system is down. Gundam, we installed that light switch for you so you could turn the lights on and off. Not so you could throw Sengoku Jidai raves. I suspect the um, the vigorous flashing of the castle might be a seizure issue for people. You probably couldn't do that anymore. It is important to note, I think, when talking about the narrative, that while this is the first appearance of these characters on film, there had been a bunch of manga at this point telling these stories about these characters. So this is fan service in the sense of, like, you already love these characters, you already know their stories. Here's a little vignette. Here's about 12 minutes worth of exciting uh, animation of these beloved characters who you have already bought in Gunpla form. That was going to be my next question about the Gunpla and about, I'm sure, uh, little figurines in gacha machines. In fact, if you wanted to read the manga about these characters, it was included in the instruction booklets for Gunpla that you had to buy. Cute. Every SD short we've covered so far has been kind of a like a spotum. Like it's all Easter eggs. Taking the things that we know you already like and putting them on screen so that you can see them and go, I like that. 
which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think this one, because of that manga tie-in, is even more of that. I also assume you, I'm sure, didn't notice this, but <laughs> there are a bunch of Ingrams, which are labors from Pat Labor, which is the movie that this ran in front of. I did not notice that. So I guarantee you a bunch of people in the audience excited to see Pat Labor the movie were like, that ain't no Gundam. That ain't no mobile suit. Hooting and hollering and pointing at the screen. I didn't even know which mobile suit it was that was with the Hyakushiki when you were like, oh, Hyakumaru. I'm like, okay, sure. I, I mean, guess. I <laughs> there is 100% no reason you should have known that. I mean, that's that's how I feel about most of these mobile suits. All right, but this is a mobile suit that I think it's based on a version of the Hyakushiki, like mass production type that was only included in one of the MSV sets and then was like further modified. It's pretty niche. Oh, that was one other question that I had because I <laughs> do not know the mobile suits well enough to determine. Is the Musha meant to be the like OG <laughs> RX 78 2 or some other mobile suit? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of its own thing and develops into more of its own thing over time, but especially in this context where it's the leader of the band of five and the other ones are the Zeta, the double Zeta, and the new or whatever. And given that it's voiced by Amuro's voice actor, here it is our Sengoku version of the original Gundam. That was sort of where I was leaning, because when they introduce the Gundam 5, it's the first one that gets introduced right before the Mark II, the Zeta, the Double Zeta, and the New. But all of them have names that are, again, sort of conjified versions of their original names, whereas the Musha, it was never called the Musha before. And Musha means warrior. It's not a made-up word like all of the other kanji that are used for these other names. It's an actual real word, so. I think in the manga, Musha is like a title that is given to one of the Gundams. Okay. And it becomes the Musha Gundam. Sir Gundam. Basically. The real question is, who is the show Gundam? Who is this handsome mustachioed Gundam? I don't have an answer. <laughs> Nina, how do you feel about Gundams with mustaches? I'm pro. That's good. <gasps> this is when Tom reveals to me he is, in fact, a Gundam with a mustache. Ore wa Gundam. And how do you feel about Kubelays with eyelashes? <laughs> also pro. I, <laughs> I really liked the portrayal of the Kubelay in this one. It was fun. It was fun. Was it great? No but it was fun and they didn't screw it up. At no point did I want to throw things at the screen. Congratulations, SD Gundam's Counterattack Part Two. You have cleared the low bar. This week, rather than doing one or two big research pieces, we decided to tackle a lot of smaller questions. So this is going to be a bit of a rapid-fire research roundup. Nina, take us away. Just after the opening title for this episode, there is a scroll, the outside of which says Sengoku Hicho, or Sengoku Secret Notebook. 
and inside the scroll is a map. The almost circular bay is probably meant to be Tokyo Bay. The borders shown are not the modern prefectural borders, they're closer to some of the Warring States ones, but didn't exactly match the maps that I looked at. Then again, that era lasted 150 years, I'm sure many of the borders changed over time. Then I looked at the labels themselves, none of which corresponded to any current geographic divisions or to any from the Sengoku period, nor to clan names, nor to anything like that. And it turned out these are still more kanji pronunciation jokes. Every one of these labels is actually a significant location from a Gundam show. Starting on the right side, there's a series of three kanji that can be pronounced Odesa for Odessa. There's a Gudanada for Granada, Guripusu for grips, Dakaru for Dakar. Then we get a rather trickier one. I explained before how ateji most often means kanji used for their pronunciation or sound rather than their meaning. But it can also mean the opposite, kanji used for their meaning regardless of their pronunciation. And towards the center of the map, we have moon moon. It's literally just the kanji for moon twice, which is pronounced tsuki or getsu or gatsu. But that's irrelevant because clearly it's just moon moon. The map also includes jaburo for jaburo. On that one, the last character, I'm going to hazard and say it is written down incorrectly. I did quite a bit of hunting around. I couldn't find a real kanji that looked quite like what's written on the map. So I went with the closest thing. And since it works in this particular naming scheme, I'm confident that's what it's supposed to be. I also feel a little bit vindicated. The thing that confused me is that the radical on the left is the radical for grain, but for the proper kanji, it should be the radical for tree. They're very similar. There's a difference of two small strokes. And it's exactly the kind of mistake I make all the time when I'm studying kanji. <laughs> Radicals, for anyone who doesn't study Japanese and kanji, are the various component parts of kanji. And one good way to identify a kanji that you encounter that you don't recognize is to break it up into its radicals and look those up. The map also includes Sorumon, or Solomon, and Akushizu, or Axis, and one that is a mix of the two types of ateji, doubly confusing, uh, which is saido, and then the kanji for seven, for side seven. I wondered if the Gundam castle was based on a real place, and it is probably modeled on Himeji Castle, which is the largest and best preserved example of Japanese castle architecture. I will post some photos in the show notes. It also looks a bit like Nagoya Castle, but Himeji is sort of the Ur castle, and so is the most natural example. Uh, Himeji Castle is almost always photographed from one particular angle. It's got like one really photogenic one, which pretty closely matches the way the Gundam Castle is presented in the anime. And they've made a couple of changes to the facade of the castle to make it look more like a Gundam's face, even beyond the V-fin. Yeah, there are these sort of decorative portions on the way that the, the roofs are put in and the windows are put in that they replaced the traditional shapes with shapes that look like some of the paneling and exhaust ports in the face of a mobile suit. 
But more so than most other Japanese castles, Himeji Castle already kind of looks like a face. The Army of Darkness estate or manor, they use the term Yashiki, which we discussed in season two? Season three. Uh, that one is trickier. The layout looks fairly typical of a military family estate from the Heian period. They were called Bukezukuri and were very similar to court nobles' estates, but more practical and less ornamental. The red button on the fax machine, which is shown in close-up, reads Jushin Kaishi, basically begin or commence reception, or start receiving a message, which is wild to me. I assume this is a real thing that some fax machines have or used to have where someone has to call you to tell you they're sending a fax so that you can hit the button so that you can actually receive the fax because otherwise it won't come through. What is particularly delightful about this is that while the fax machine did not exist during the Sengoku Jidai, the Boring States period, the earliest proto-fax machines were developed in the 1840s the samurai as a class were not abolished until 1876, so there was a window of a couple of decades in there where a samurai could have sent and received fax messages. The Hyakushiki's kanji received some modifications as well. In addition to the kanji for 100, or Hyaku, which has always been there, they added a kanji underneath it, which is the one for samurai. The mobile suit sneaking around with the Hyakushiki is the Hyakimaru, Tom informs me, and has some kanji on its forehead, Hyaki Yagyo. So the first part, Hyaki, obviously sounds the same as the mobile suit's name. This sequence of four kanji is a yoji jukugo, or a four-character idiom, and it means either a nightly procession of monsters, spirits, and so on, the concept of a procession of yokai through the streets on summer nights is from Japanese folklore. Or it can mean veritable pandemonium, large number of people plotting and doing evil, creepy characters roaming about. Highly appropriate on a spy. The same text appears on the golden blimp that makes an appearance during the big battle on and around Apawaku. On the body of the Army of Darkness commander's Daruma is written Hisho, or certain victory. The crate it's sitting on is labeled Matsumoto in the top left corner, which is a family name and probably the brand name for this. And then it says Iokan. Iokan are the second most grown and most popular of the citrus fruits grown in Japan, after what are called Unshu Mikan. They have slightly thicker peels, though they can still be peeled by hand and uh, slightly more sour flesh than the standard mikan. In the background of that same scene, a number of slips of paper with kanji written on them are pasted to the wall. These turned out to be a list of places in the Tokyo metropolitan area. More specifically, they are all stations on one railway or another. And when you think about how railway lines and their stations are often displayed at a station, they're often listed in much the same way. Starting on the right, the slips read Tanashi, Shimo Igusa, Nakamurabashi, Nakano, Oizumi, Hoya. For this one, I was uncertain about that first kanji. The way it's written in the episode doesn't quite match up with the way it's written now, but it works, makes sense in this context again. And finally, Asagaya. The last kanji on that one is not visible, 
but I could only find the one place name that starts with those first three. All but two of these are now on the Cebu Railway. Nakano and Asagaya are both JR stations now, but may not have been at that time. This was 30-odd years ago, after all. And it turns out I was wrong about the sake. They are not prematurely celebrating their victory at all. Kagami Biraki, this ceremonial busting open of a barrel of sake, then serving it to everyone present, is often done to celebrate or commemorate a beginning of something. The first working day of the new year, the opening of an event, starting a new business, a housewarming. Sharing the sake out beseeches the gods to grant good health and fortune in whatever the upcoming venture or event is. Not entirely off base for the start of a battle. The one bit of kanji in this episode that got me really stuck is the kanji on the watch face. As the hour of the hippo approaches, I believe it's one of the Gundams that looks to its wrist to count down the seconds, and rather than numbers for the hours, there are animals. And then in the center, a series of four kanji. Now the third and fourth characters can be the name Satako or Kyoko, but can also be Seiko pronounced just the same as the famous watchmaking company, though the company stopped using kanji in its official name and trademark in 1924, and never used those particular kanji. But the first two have me rather stumped. The first one can be pronounced fuku, or ha, or hatsu, or hara. The second is a bit hard to read because it was drawn very small, so you lose some of the detail and it's in a bit more of a handwritten style. But I'm pretty sure it's a kanji used as a counter for sons or children generally. The second kanji in the word yaro, <laughs> which is often uh, translated as any number of insulting terms for a man. And it can be pronounced ro or ryo or ira or to or mon or o. <laughs> Those first two characters together could be pronounced haro, like haro, and could be included so that there's at least one reference to haro in this otherwise haroless episode. I also wondered if perhaps the joke is supposed to be that it's fukuro, which is how you say owl. Again, these aren't the kanji you would use to write owl, but it's pronounced the same way. And since it's an animal watch, are they making a joke about the company being an animal company also? Not entirely clear. Don't really know. We tried looking it up separately as like a whole phrase and couldn't find anything. One last thing. I was pretty confident when I brought up the use of kites to actually lift a human observer up into the air, but I wanted to confirm it. And yes, kites were used to loft observers <laughs> up into the air for a better view during various battles, including into the modern era for artillery targeting as an alternative to hot air balloons. And now let's hear what little bits of research Tom did. All right. I have five mini-research pieces to share. Number one, the Musha Gundam's origin. During the talkback, Nina asked about the Musha Gundam and whether it's equivalent to the original RX-78-2 Gundam or its own independent thing. My answer to that question was that it's kind of both, and that hasn't changed, but I do have some additional detail to share. Like the Perfect Gundam and the Heavy Gundam that I talked about back in episode 6.2, 
The Musha Gundam originally appeared in the manga Plamo Kyoshiro as a custom-built 1-144 scale Gunpla model based on the Mark II Gundam. At this point, it was not an SD design, but one with normal mobile suit proportions. Credit for the design was shared by the Plamo Kyoshiro mangaka, Yamato Koichi, and the magazine writer and editor Yasui Hisashi. Although relatively unknown on the English side of the fandom, Yasui was a major figure in Gundam's early history. He was one of the magazine writers pushing Gundam plastic models to the forefront in 1981, with articles about models, mecha designers, and model makers in the anime magazine Animeju and the newly launched manga magazine Comic Bonbon. Comic Bonbon would be the home of Plamo Kyoshiro and many of the SD Gundam comics, including those by Sato Ogen. Yasui also wrote the original story for Plamo Kyoshiro, and he was the producer for the Mobile Suit Variations design series. When the Musha Gundam was adopted into the SD product line, first as a Gashapon toy in 1987, and then as a Gunpla model in 1988, and simultaneously in the gag comic manga Ganso SD Gundam by Yokoi Koji and Comic World by Imaishi Susumu, it developed its own identity as a character. Many of the character design innovations that appear in the short we just watched, such as having the Musha Gundam lead a team of Gundam warriors and fight against the three Zaku brothers, come from Imaishi's comics. This ad hoc development process produced exactly the kind of inconsistencies you would expect, and so in June 1989, Bandai and Comic Bonbon published an article which synthesized all the developments up to that point into a new, consistent story world. The world of SD Gundam Sengokuden. This short landed in theaters just a month later. Subsequent appearances of the Musha Gundam, even with the more natural eight heads proportions, are based more on this SD version than the original Plamo Kyoshiro design. Notably, the SD Musha eschews many of the Mark II-inspired details from the original and hues closer to the original RX-78 in both its design and its role in the story. Number 2. LSI Simulation Games SD Sengokuden, and this SD short in particular, were popular enough that Bandai's games division produced a series of tabletop strategy games based on them. For 5,500 yen, roughly $90 today, you could play out the battle for the Phantom Castle on your kitchen table. The game has a lot of what you would expect from this kind of simulation game. A game board with a map of the battlefield, rulebook, cards listing the different characters' stats, and tokens for all the different mobile suit warriors on both sides. But it also includes an electronic device that looks a bit like an old LCD calculator or a Game Boy. This device is the key feature that makes these games so interesting to me. When two units fought, instead of rolling dice, the players would insert their tokens into corresponding slots on the machine. The machine would then calculate the outcome of the battle based on stats for each game piece, as well as input by the players, who could select whether their unit would try to attack or flee. Bandai's LSI game division made a bunch of variations on this type of mixed board and electronic game, including one that allowed players to refight the battles of Char's counterattack in SD format. And they're fascinating artifacts. Unfortunately, pretty much the only information I've been able to find about them is coming from low-resolution photos of the game's boxes posted on auction websites, so I don't know nearly as much about them as I would like to. Number 3. Oracion One thing I've learned over the years we've been making this podcast 
is that if you encounter a weird name and you can't puzzle out the origin, it's always worth looking at the names of famous racehorses. And that's certainly true when you're looking at a horse mobile suit like the one that combines with the Musha Zeta to form the Centaur Special. The horse, Oracion, surely takes its name from the fictional thoroughbred Oracion, which was the central character in the prize-winning novel Yushun by Miyamoto Teru. The novel, which was serialized from 1982 until 1986, depicts the lives of the humans who raised and raced Oracion. The novel was adapted into a movie in 1988, titled Oracion. It opened against and beat out George Lucas's Willow, and was the second highest grossing Japanese film of that year. As a side note, the movie Oracion featured Saito Yuki, star of Sukeban Deka, and had a score by Saigusa Shigeaki, of Zeta Gundam fame. That same year, the popular comedy variety show Toneruzu no Minasan no Okage des, thanks to everyone at Tunnels, ran a sketch parodying Oracion in which one of the show's producers donned a centaur costume in order to play the horse. It seems at least plausible that the Musha Zeta combining with the horse Oracion to become a mobile centaur had its genesis in this very comedy sketch. Number 4. Zakuto Lion The leader of the Army of Darkness in this short is named Zakuto. The to part is a pun on the two in Zaku 2, and uses the kanji for leader, which can be read as to. His pet lions are called Zakuto Rayon, or Zakuto Lion, and Kodomo Rayon, Child Lion. The name Zakuto and the two Zakuto Lions were created by Imaishi Susumu, and both come from the same root, the brand of toothpaste used by his father. Zakuto Rayon is a Japanese toothpaste specifically marketed to smokers for its ability to remove tobacco tar residue from teeth. In English, it's sold as Zact Lion Smokers Toothpaste, with a photo of a pair of cigarettes inside a black letter Z, although there is also a version advertised more generically as Stain Fighter Toothpaste, which trades in the pictures of cigarettes for cups of coffee and tea. Since Imaishi was playing on the similarity between Zakuto Lion Toothpaste and Zaku 2 Mobile Suits, it was only natural to give Lord Zakuto a lion or two as pets. And this then explains why the child lion is shown brushing its teeth during the short. The visual design of the pair of white lions seems to be an homage to the Tezuka Osamu manga and anime Jungle Emperor, better known in English as Kimbo the White Lion. That's not the only connection to Tezuka's manga. The name Hyakimaru is also the name of a character in Dororo. Finally, number five, Shachihoko. We've talked about comedy specials and fake horses, toothpaste, manga, and games. Let's get classy for a moment and talk medieval architecture. The action in this short revolves around the two sides' attempts to install a new Shachihoko ornament on the top of the Abawaku Fortress. Shachihoko are quite real, although they don't usually look so much like a Zacrello. The term refers to a mythological creature with a head like a tiger's and the body of a carp-like fish. It's written with a single kanji, which combines the kanji for fish and tiger, and which is also used for orcas, shachi, in Japanese. Shachihoko are thought to date to the Warring States period, but their popularity expanded significantly during the Edo period that followed. They are generally believed to have evolved from shibi, an earlier ornamental roof tile with a similar upward-curving shape, but none of the anatomical fish detailing of the shachihoko. The oldest surviving shibi in Japan is on the Tosho Daiji Temple in Nara, and dates to the 8th century, 
but they may have appeared in Chinese architecture as early as the 3rd century. Besides looking cool and determining the outcome of the battle between the Gundam army and the Army of Darkness, the mythological Shachihoko was associated with water and rain. It was supposed to have the power to summon rain and to extinguish fires. Good powers to have at your disposal if you happen to be the lord overseeing an agricultural society while living in a giant flammable fortress. You can see an impressive pair of Shachihoko atop the famous Himeji Castle, but Matsue Castle in Shimane claims to have the largest surviving Shachihoko, at more than 2 meters in height. There are even larger Shachihoko on Nagoya Castle, but those monsters, each of which weighs 1.2 tons, are a modern recreation. The originals were destroyed, along with the rest of the castle, by American bombs. Next time on episode 6.5, This is Not a Place of Honor, we research and discuss SD Gundam Mark III, parts 2 through 6, but not part 1. Tom will explain next week. And super limited animation. About 12 drawings total. A cute horse. They're stealing our bit! Form of eagle, form of dragon, form of gun? Horse noises. Ninjas flipping out. Onmitsu Gundam walked so Naruto could run. Go home, Zaku, you're drunk. Women, coated mobile suits, be shopping. And this is also dishonorable. This served no purpose, but nevertheless. Mobile Suit Breakdown is written, recorded, and produced by us, Nina and Tom, in scenic New York City, within the ancestral and unceded land of the Lenape people, and made possible by listeners like you. The opening track is Wasp by Misha Dioxin. The closing music is A Long Way Home by Spinning Ratio. The recap music is Olivia by Hyson. You can find links to the sources for our research, the music used in the episode, additional information about the Lenape people, and more in the show notes and on our website, GundamPodcast.com. You can get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram at GundamPodcast, or by email to GundamPodcast at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. I don't know, Nina, is it ever going to be safe to share wrong Gundam opinions with the world again? I mean, wrong opinions like Mother Complex? I find it quite simple, actually. If people don't share wrong kind of opinions like that, then they'll just keep building up inside until something terrible happens. Thank you this week to Call Me Grishka in the MSB Discord for suggesting the wrong kind of opinion. Ah. Everything's fine. Are you sure? Because it sounds like everything is broken and ruined forever. No, everything is fine. Oh, I 
like half a sentence here. I forgot to finish my sentence. Whoops. just keeps going. Yep, yep. <laughs> They're stopped at the light. Um, this is the soundtrack of our lives. It's just that the Zako make me think of Sergeant Frog. Mmm. Small, green, chibi, big old helmets. Yeah, it's been going on for a while. Oh. Boop boop. <laughs> Popping.